0: Three people find themselves on an observation deck at the Grand Canyon at the same time. One of the individuals was a rabbi, and having surveyed this incredible natural wonder says loud enough for the other two to hear, this is incredible. This has taken my breath away. This affirms what I've already come to believe, that God takes the devastation of our lives and in time allows us to see wonder. Clearly this rabbi was moved. The second person standing there was an artist, and they spoke loud enough for the other two to hear as well. And here's what she said. This is magnificent. This has inspired me in ways I've never imagined. The colors, the geometry, the perspective, the sense of scale. I must paint this so that others who haven't seen this, who haven't been here, can experience it vicariously through my art. Wow, clearly. She was moved. The last person standing there with these two was an old cattle rancher, wearing his cowboy boots and hat, chewing on a piece of straw. He stood there quiet for a minute, sensing the gaze of the other two, curious, it seems, of what he thought. He then looked over the railing, down at the bottom of the canyon, stared for a few moments, then looked back towards the others and said, This is a terrible place. To lose a cow. The story really demonstrates the filters that determine so much about how we experience life, doesn't it? For the rabbi, the Grand Canyon reinforced what he'd already come to believe. For the artist, it inspired her towards something new. For the cattle rancher, this was a cautionary tale. All are correct in their observations because all aren't experiencing the Grand Canyon the same way just on the same day those differences make a huge difference we do this as well but not just through our vocational lenses we experience the world through the lens of our fears our hopes our anxieties our experiences our traumas and we cannot escape that because it's who we are it's shaped who we are we are the culmination of all that we've experienced to date And those experiences are shaping for us this very subjective thing called life. Aeneas Nin said that we don't actually see things the way they are. We see things as we are. That has never been more true. That doesn't change inside the doors at the parish either. We don't see things or experience them the same way as everybody else in that room on a Sunday morning. Sometimes we assume we do. But that's just the beginning of our trouble. We discover that as we read through scriptures, as we follow Jesus around, that not everybody sees things the same way. That people don't have a common experience with Jesus. Instead, they have the experience of Jesus in common. Very different things. The poor experience Jesus different than the rich. One may experience compassion and the other challenge. The sick experience Jesus different than the healthy, we read in Scripture. Each one of his twelve disciples would have had a different relationship with Jesus, and it shows. We run into trouble when we feel the need to package Jesus in a way that appeals to the masses. It doesn't work that way. It never did. I should know. I've been doing it for 35 years. Here's the truth I've come to discover. I can't tell you why you need God. I can only tell you why I do. Like Amy once said to me, that when she stopped looking for God in one place, she could start seeing God in all places. This has become very apparent to me over time, especially in this season of Easter. You see, I grew up in a culture that told me what Easter was about. Not once in all of my childhood did anyone ever ask me what I thought it could be about, what I thought it was about. Instead, it was determined by clergy and theologians over time, even many of them disagreeing on what it could mean, denominations forming over those differences of opinion. Atonement theories began to develop over time, matching current cultural language and social world views. The gospel was taught to me as a one-size-fits-all. We're sinners, Aaron, and Jesus came to die for your sins. But that was troubling for me as an 11-year-old boy who prayed at the altar every Sunday night because everyone else was. Most of the time I spent on my knees was trying to figure out what sin I could ask God to forgive. At times, that desperate search led to shame as I wondered what was wrong with me, that I didn't feel like a rotten sinner, like I was supposed to. It was hammered into me that Jesus died on the cross to forgive my sins, so I better figure out what they are. But it doesn't just take an 11-year-old to read the scripture where Jesus forgives sins before he ever died on the cross. So clearly, Easter and that cross was about so much more. But you see, those questions weren't allowed. I was told not in so many words that I cannot experience God differently than those offering me the experience of God to begin with. And so when your suffering outgrows your view of God, you either abandon faith or consider that maybe your ideas about God need to be bigger than I've come to believe. You see, I've come to discover that in 35 years of being a pastor, that the gospel isn't one size fits all. How can it be? The gospel means good news. What you discover when you read the gospels is that good news is different for everybody. If it were the same for everybody, then somebody would be at a disadvantage, because we're all, not in this, we're all not the same, and we aren't experiencing life the same way. You see, for some, the news that God loves them is enough, but for others, that means nothing, because they don't feel worthy of love. So if the gospel isn't good news for everybody, how can it be good news for anyone? Welcome to week one of our Easter series. an Easter for everyone. Because Easter can't be just one thing. Because Easter, as we'll see, is everything. Today we begin the journey towards Easter Sunday. But yet as we begin this journey, we're already behind. All of the events have already happened. We're reading about it after the fact. Yet we're never made to feel like we're late to the game, and I believe this is because Jesus sets the pace of this story. Even though others are writing these stories down, Jesus seems to set the agenda, and he he seems to not be in a hurry at all. It's almost as if anyone who wants to can keep up. And this is important, because he came into a culture of behind. A Jewish people trying to get back to where they used to be, a nation, a king, thousands of years earlier. We meet these exhausted people on every page of the biographies of Jesus. The working poor, are always behind because they're taxed, they're in debt, that debt has weight, always hanging over their heads each year, getting farther and farther behind, borrowing what they can't afford to pay off what they'll never own. A culture of catch-up. The sick and disabled are behind socially, they're outcasts, they have no chance of having a life. They're just exhausted in a culture that constantly reminds them that they're behind even accusing their circumstances to be a result of their sins. In this culture of catch-up, there was no up. For many, they are religiously behind. Some disqualified because of their lifestyle, perhaps because survival meant making a choice. Matthew, choosing to be a tax collector, putting himself behind religiously. Ethnically, he was a traitor. But he could now put food on his table. John and Peter, both fishermen, already behind. Some of their peers were smarter and could memorize Torah. That would mean that they would have been selected as students under a rabbi. Those that didn't cut it often found themselves working the family business. For them, there was no catch up, and at times, barely a catch. Boy, the first century sounds an awful lot like today. Some of us feel behind, don't we? If not, in this room on a Sunday morning, definitely behind these walls or beyond these walls in your homes, you feel behind. And some because of the color of their skin, the geography of where they grew up, their access to education, their inability to learn in the way others do, or maybe they had two parents or maybe one or maybe none. Maybe it's their mental health or anxiety. Maybe you just, you feel like you're behind and it's genetic, or maybe you feel behind and it's part of our culture's design. Regardless, behind is a paralyzing place, not being where you thought you would be, where you should be, where you can be. Maybe spiritually some feel like they're missing an inside joke. For so many, they feel like they never get to where they need to be. They only end up where they're headed. But Jesus offers a whole new way of being here. His message is so refreshing and disrupting at the same time. in fact, he declares that he is inaugurating a new social order, a new kingdom where heaven meets earth. I might sum up his teaching this way: Why be behind when you can start where you are? We will never or we, we will see this over and over and over again in the Gospels. This is why the gospel means good news. Why be behind when you can start where you are? Because it means you're included. In you, heaven meets earth. The divine image of God is rediscovered. Listen to this story this morning that Jesus tells to describe an alternative way that God's economy works. In Matthew chapter 20, this is the only place in all the Gospels this story is recorded. And this is what he writes. Matthew recalls this story Jesus tells. Jesus says God's kingdom is like the owner of a vineyard, who went out early in the morning to hire workers, and they agreed on a day's wage and went to work. Later that morning, about nine o'clock a.m., the vineyard owner saw some other people hanging around the town square unemployed. And so he told them to go work in his vineyard as well, and that he would pay them a day's wage, and they went. This same manager went back at noon and again at three, and he did the same thing finding people unemployed and hiring them. At five o'clock again, he goes back and he still finds others standing around. And he says, why are you standing around here all day doing nothing? And they said, because nobody has hired us. And so he told them to go work in his vineyard. And when the day's work was over, the owner of the vineyard instructed his foreman, call the workers in, pay them their wages and start with the last hired and go on to the first. And those hired at five came in and were each given a day's wage. And when those who were hired at the start of the day saw that, they assumed that they would get far more. But they got the same. Each of them received a day's wage. Taking the money, they complained angrily to the manager, these last workers put in only one easy hour, and you just made them equal to us. Those of us who slaved all day under a scorching sun The master of the vineyard replied to the one speaking for the rest. He said, friends, have I been unfair? No, we agreed on a wage, didn't we? So take it and be satisfied. I decided to give the one who came last the same as you. Can't I do that? Can't I do that with my own money? Are we not? Are you not to get stingy because I am generous? Here it is again. The great reversal many of the first ending up last, and the last first. And then, as he was about to go up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the twelve disciples aside, and he spoke to them as they walked along. He said, Listen, we're now going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn me to death. Wow. That's a fascinating story. And he seems to tell this story just as he begins to head towards Jerusalem, where he will be killed. What's this story preparing the disciples for? It certainly seems to be provocative. There are a few different ways to interpret this unique story. Jesus doesn't interpret it himself, he just tells it and leaves it for us to listen and to struggle in the tension of what it can mean. I'm going to use that first line that Jesus says in this story as the codex to interpret the rest. The kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a vineyard. See, the story is meant to shape the way we see the world where heaven meets earth. It is a world where people don't have an advantage by how early they get up, or by how well they might be dressed, by whether or not they're closer to the front of a line or at the back, by whether or not they make eye contact or have a firm handshake. This is a world where people are seen who desire to be seen. The vineyard owner hired those who showed up if they didn't want to work they didn't have to go to the marketplace but they went and some stayed all day before they got a break now i don't know why he didn't hire them all at once it seems that maybe there wasn't a line it's a marketplace after all it's not indeed the challenge in this story isn't that those who worked all day weren't given a day's wage the challenge is that others who worked less than a day were also given a day's wage in this story, no one was overlooked. Nobody was left out. Instead, the trouble was that some felt they should have been valued more than others because of what they accomplished, how long they'd worked, how hard they'd worked. But really, why stop there? One worker could feel like they picked more grapes than the other, even though they both worked eight hours. One worker may have stopped to smoke three times, while the other felt they deserved more because they worked through lunch. And yet another could say, that they were lactose intolerant, so they didn't eat any grapes while they were picking. Like, I mean, where does this stop? We can each think of millions of reasons why we think we deserve more than other people, whether it's those we work with or those in our family, those on our street. We don't need to quantify it through hours worked. It's important to note that those hired at 5 p.m., an hour before the end of day, weren't being lazy. They were in the town square looking for work. When the manager asks why they're standing around all day doing nothing they reply nobody's hired us. They're willing. If lazy they wouldn't be there. They just can't get a break. I get that. And many today know what that feels like. Maybe not economically but socially, relationally, physically, or spiritually. Behind. The ones in this story who are upset are the ones who thought they were ahead it is it isn't even that they're being jerks it's just that in an economy that measures itself by effort the privilege and advantage these are factors not being considered and while it seems fair it actually isn't i'm just impressed that somebody stood there in the marketplace looking for work until 5 p.m holding out hope they just kept showing up why isn't anyone talking about that in this story this story is for them keep showing up This story demonstrates for us the difference between equality and equity. Equality means everybody gets the very same thing. But equity is when everyone gets what they need. Carolyn Belden explains it this way, that equality is leaving the door open for anyone who has the means to approach it. But equity is ensuring there is a pathway to that door for those who need it. Maybe a simple way of understanding it is this. Equality is that everybody gets a pair of shoes. Equity offers everyone a pair of shoes that fit. Do you see the difference? Giving everyone the same is equality. If only everyone was the same. And clearly we aren't on very, on so many levels. We're just not all the same. We're just so different in so many ways. Truthfully, I would be feeling the same as those who worked all day because I have power, I have ability, I have privilege. And by that I mean I'm not disadvantaged because of my skin color, my mother language, my education, my personality, or my health. This Jesus message isn't easy to swallow for us with privilege, with success, until we realize that this message of Jesus applies to all the ways that we might be behind in other areas of our lives. You see, this is the economy that Jesus says the kingdom of God works on. This new world that is breaking through as heaven meets earth, and the currency of this economy is grace. Why be behind when you can start where you are? The kingdom gives everyone a chance because everyone has a place. The world of God is a generous and gracious place. It isn't about reward and punishment. It's about death and resurrection, about life where we're surprised to find it. It's about redemption and hope and second and third and fourth chances. It's about learning to surrender instead of giving up. It's about finding God already in your life, not about trying to figure out how to put him there. And so when you feel your actions have set you back, whether you think that you're late to the game or have no way of catching up or if you feel perpetually behind because of circumstances beyond your control, there is something in this story for you. and Not just this one today, but the story of Easter. So keep showing up. God sees you standing in your marketplace with your desire to thrive and not just survive. And maybe we can all follow Jesus to where he's headed together. And. We can start right where we are.